Let's pray, shall we? Father, again, we thank you so much for this time. We just ask that you open the Word and teach us. You know, we're so messed up. Even though we love you, Lord, we have a sin bent within. We live in a world that's no friend of grace, and sometimes we're pulled and yanked all around, and we do things we ought not do. We say things we shouldn't say, and we ask, where's the power of the gospel in our life? And we pray for that sanctifying power. For those of us here that know Jesus, that we would, uh, the power of the, of the resurrection would be in us in a renewed way, that you would strengthen us today as we enter into this holy week, this Palm Sunday week, leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And I just ask, Lord, that uh, you'd open the scriptures of the Spirit of God and search our hearts and accomplish your purpose in each one of us today. Change us. This guy here, change all of us, Lord. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. For any here that do not know Jesus, may you open their heart and draw them to yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've entitled uh, the message today, A Day Like No Other. A Day Like No Other. Take your Bible, look at uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 19, verse uh, 28. We're going to look at 28 to 40. And that's uh, Luke's uh, rendition of what we call Palm Sunday. I'd like to read that first. And when uh, Jesus had said these things, the things just prior, uh, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount, which is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away went and found just as he had told them. And as they were untying the coat, its owner said to them, why are you untying the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. Throwing their cloaks on the coat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And they were saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Go, one, go two more verses. I just want to show you. And, 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 and when he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Would that you had even known this day. Wow. A day like no others. You know, most of the days in our life are kind of pressed between the pages of our mind. You remember that song? Pressed between <laughs> the pages of our mind. And most of them just go in into this utter blending together without any distinguishing uh, sense of one day versus another. Are you like that? Maybe I'm the only one like that. I mean, I love that. I don't care for Michigan a whole lot. If you're from Michigan, that's too bad. I feel sorry for you. But it is a great ad, that ad on Michigan. Have you seen that on TV? It's beautiful. They show the, the shoreline and the water and serene and, 
It is so beautiful. And he goes on to say uh, something like, uh, we're given 25,000 days. No, not all, right? But that's about, what, 75 years? And they're trying to invite you to they come to Michigan, right, and uh, use the shoreline and go fishing and go boating and whatever else. And it's quite, quite, quite beautiful. Uh, most of the days of our life seem to blend together with only a few standing out. For me, the memorable days seem to focus on a couple of areas. Um, my marriage, uh, I remember that. I'm still able to remember my marriage. I'm thankful for that. I do have to do a quick count sometimes, like, you know, where take my shoe off and count how, how, how many it's been. But I saw that. Faith had it marked on the calendar. Thank you, dear. You had actually the number written up there, so that <laughs> was a, a sort of like slow class. Thank you for that, you know, and that, that really helps. In our, in our family, I should say something, too. And then about ministry, there's some things about the children, right? I mean, don't, don't. When they're born, I actually saw that. Oh, my Thank you, Lord, I'm a man. Thank you, thank you. You know, some of you guys have prayed that. But when they're born, and then the, to pray with them at their certain points, I had the joy of praying with each one of them. When they said, Daddy, I think I'm a sinner and lost and under judgment. Will you pray with me somewhere by their bed? Sometimes I prayed numbers of times with some of them that same prayer. And I said, that's okay. Come on, we're going to pray. We're going to pray. Don't ever feel badly about that. Don't go back and say, no, you were four. Remember, on my knee. No, 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 let's pray again. You know, and, and uh, we know that once you're born again, you're born again, but if they're unsure, hey, you know, so they stand out. Their baptisms stand out. Different things in their life stand out. Um, other thing, high-water marks in my life that make a day like no other day are uh, certain days in ministry. I remember high celebrations, uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas in a big way, and, and, and outreach, and these kind of things. And I will tell you this, this is a very special day for me. I've been kind of watching this for a couple of weeks in my, my ministry. Uh, today, and, I, and Mark might know this, but today is the exact day, 23 years ago, that I first rode into Harrisburg, and the first time I ever preached, April the 1st, 1990. Now, how many were there that day? I, was any... You guys were there? It's a whole holy cow. We need extra prayer for these folks that oh and who else over here? I want to see. Dawn, were you there? You don't remember, do you? I bet Bruce would remember. Holy cow, you guys. If you don't get it right, just keep at it, somebody said, but for 23 years, a big day for me. And how about a few national events? I mean, 9-11 was a defining day. Our lives are defined by it, right? Um, in some other days, D-Day, some of you remember uh, Pearl Harbor Day. My mother used to say, oh, Pearl, it's Pearl Harbor Day, and, and so on. There are uh, certain national days that, that we sort of remember, uh, and so on. Well, today's Palm Sunday. and That's the day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and they hailed him as King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, it was certainly a red-letter day in the life of the Lord Jesus, truly memorable. This would be the last week in which Jesus would live on earth prior to his crucifixion. He was crucified, uh, I know we've, we, we remember it on Friday, we call it Good Friday. If you count the days, maybe it was Thursday. Uh, he died this week. And three days late in the grave, that's why we meet on Sunday. Next week, Easter, is Resurrection Sunday. Uh, this, uh, this was 
uh, God's appointed day in His plan and program. You know that God has a plan and a program? You know, we've not been on earth very long. You take the whole population of the earth, you know, it seems like a lot of people, do you know you could stand the whole population of the earth in the county of Jacksonville, Florida? You know, six billion people, and it's about what you would expect with a recent history and all that kind of thing. We haven't been here that long. And at one appointed day, uh, through the prophet Daniel, and Daniel's, uh, Daniel chapter 9 uh, is the end of the 69th week, I really believe if you study text upon text, scripture upon scripture, uh, chapter, Daniel chapter 9, 25 is the very day of the end of uh, the 69th week. That's the very day. Jesus said, if you had only known this day, it was precise. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Jesus saying like, or God saying, well, I didn't know he's going to ride in this day. I didn't know he was going to be born then. I didn't know it was going to end. I thought, he, no, this is all a plan and a program of God, and don't you take comfort in that? I do. He's sovereign. They're not sovereign down in D.C., have you noticed? The Supreme Court, there's one thing they're not. They're not supreme. There's another court, and it's God himself. He has a plan and a program, and to his glory he's going to bring about. It will culminate in the coming and the glory of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ as the mighty conquering king. Not in the humble, lowly view that we see him when we see him on Palm Sunday. What a day. What a day. Well, oh, to have been in Jerusalem on that day to see the king receiving the praise and the shouts of his disciples. Wouldn't that have been something? Ha ha! Ha ha! Whoa! Like that. And they're thronging. If we can trust Josephus, there's 2.5 million people there. 2.5. Where are they coming from? Well, the ministry of the 70, Jesus gave the 70, they went out throughout all of Galilee. He gave him the, them the authority to heal, to preach. And don't you think that caused quite a stir? If that weren't enough, just a few days earlier, Lazarus, who had been dead for four days in Bethany, about a stone throw away, I've stood there and imagined this, right in Bethany, he raised him from the dead. Lord, he's been dead four days, he stinketh. We understand what that is. You ever find a dead pet? I did once. Stinketh already. He stink. Lazarus, I call it Larry, come forth. And there he is. Unbind him. Well, do you think that caused a stir? That caused an enormous stir. Of course, the Jews are determined, the leaders, we're gonna, we got to kill this guy. He doesn't have our imprimatur. He didn't graduate from our school. we got to get rid of this guy. He's messing it up. We're the power brokers. He isn't. That caused a large stir. So you got the seven. If that weren't enough, it's Passover. And the diaspora, the Jews would come from all over the world, and they would be there for that period of time as they remembered Passover. For 1,400 years, they've been killing the lamb there from Exodus. And it was all the prefiguring of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. On the very day the lambs were being slain for that Passover, this week that we're remembering, is the very day they crucified the Lord of glory. We're not pitching horseshoes, you know. And horseshoes, if you pitch and you get close, you get a point. You know, if you get a ringer, you get, what is it, two? Is it two, Ron? Three? Three, Galen knows. Three points. It's exact. It's God is, look, look for him in the details. His plan and program, the thronging crowds, and the cheering, oh, to have been there. Listen, I'm reminded that God determines all the boundaries. Uh, Psalm 16 says that. 
The boundaries have been formed by God. Think about it in the natural realm. All the boundaries, the days of your life, geographical boundaries, astronomical boundaries. The sun is 93 million miles from the earth. You think that's an accident? Oh, I didn't know that was going to... It's perfect. The millions and billions of stars in the galaxy, the atmosphere, 21% oxygen, 78% nitrogen, barometric pressure, 14.6 pounds at sea level. It's perfect. It's perfect. All the boundaries God has established physically and metaphysically. And the calendar is of his determination as well. And even the length of your days are already determined. Aren't you glad to know that? I've sat beside many of folks on airplanes where they're pretty nervous. I remember that one lady. Didn't I tell you that? I think I did. She was really nervous. She said, well, young man, you look pretty calm. I go like, well, well why? What's the problem? Oh, I'm, I'm just afraid the plane's going to go down. And I said, well, you know, God says all our days are in his hands. And if today's the day and this thing's going down, I'm going up. That, she got more afraid. That lady's like, I'm next to a nut, you know. <laughs> but really, I, I mean, what are you going to do? Hold on to the seat? Right? Yeah, I'm not going to put all my weight down. Yeah, give me a break. God sets all the boundaries. Even the fact that you should be here. God's electing and calling grace. Why are we here rather than being down at Denny's? I like their omelets. They're pretty good. There are folks down there who never heard the gospel. But on Sunday morning, you go like, i got to gather with God's people. I've got to be fed. I want to sing. I want to worship. I want to pray. I want to be a part of what God's doing. Why you here? Why am I? It's the grace and mercy of God. It's the calling of God. He is directing. It's all for his glory. Get the big picture. Get the right picture. This is a day like no other day. You know, we were made to worship the king. I love uh, Riken writes about this. We were made to worship a king. I know it's, we're Americans, and we go like, oh, we hate royalty, you know. We like, we like the democratic process. Don't I get to vote? You don't vote in heaven. You know, like, let's vote for this. Well, now we'd be voting the king out in our sin. I mean, that's our problem. But we were made to worship. That's what it is. We are made to worship. We're made to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And perhaps that's why there's such an intrigue. Reichen writes about this. When, when people see royalty today, have you ever seen royalty? We've been in England a couple of times. Buckingham Palace, I never saw the queen or anything. I mean, she was doing something far more busy, I'm sure, right? <laughs> do they do anything? Do they? I don't know, I'm not sure. But, but you, you can be, he, he, he writes about being in uh, Scotland, Edinburgh one time in a bus, and uh, they were driving through, and someone announced, there's the queen, and the whole bus went over and looked out the window to see the king, uh, see the queen. <laughs> There's something about that, you know. We're, we're made to see the worship and, and the sense of that. And here's the king coming into this city on this day in this royal parade on this great day, this appointed day. It's amazing. Well, let's just make three observations as Jesus rode as king in the holy city on this unique day. You have to say that the events here are dramatically different from all the other events in his life. I mean, he seems to be shunning the crowds. You see him up in Capernaum. He, he, he dispens, uh, teaches in the synagogue, then he's healing. And, you know, in the throngs of crowd on that Roman uh, outpost city, you know, they're seeking him and searching him. He's in the morning. He's out quietly praying by himself. And the disciples go, Yappy, you're the most popular guy in town. What's he do? He says, well, it's time for us to leave. You know, I, I mean, that's sort of the flavor of his ministry. 
He doesn't seek the, the applaud of the crowd. He seems to, you know, he seems to uh, shun it. Uh, he, okay, my work's here. I've got to go other places. That, you know. But this day is so different. Not only does he not shun it, he invites there and elicits their, their acclamation of his kingship and his worth and dignity. It's so different than reading uh, the rest of the account of his ministry, his public ministry from this day, this day of Palm Sunday. Well, the first observation is dramatic, and that is that the king has a need, so he claimed his property. The day the king had a, the, 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 we might say the day that God had a need. Have you ever had a need? I, we're, we're really a messed up, needy people, aren't we? Half of it, we do our own problem, make our own messes, and, and half the times life happens to us, and we're in a mess, and, and uh, I mean, we're, we're not, have you noticed that? And you can't, I mean, we need sleep, we need food, we need help, we need, we need, we need, I need gas in my car, I, you know. Right? We're so needy and puny, small and frail. Like, if I just didn't have any needs. Uh, this is a day when God in flesh needed something. It's, it, don't miss this. Because I think it's, it's shocking to me. Well, Luke begins uh, the account of the triumphal approach. He's, in the, he's up on the Mount of Olives, so he's not in the entry point yet. That's why I put that on your outline, not an entry. But, but, but Luke tells us, the doctor tells us about the incident that turned out to be essential to the unfolding of the drama. He's several miles outside the city of Jerusalem, and Jesus needed the colt of a donkey. So he sent his disciples to get one. He sent two of them. I mean, it's, it's quite an interesting account. Uh, it almost seems as if the disciples are guilty of rustling livestock. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, it's a, it's a funny, it, it's a, it's a funny uh, you know, go in there and find it. The colt's going to be next to its mother. Uh, we don't even know it's a donkey from Luke's gospel. We know that from the other uh, gospels that it's a donkey. Uh, and uh, it's never been ridden on. And uh, it belongs to someone else. And if somebody asks you, you know, why are you untying it, and you know, say this to them. I mean, it's a, it's a strange uh, kind of a thing. Uh, it almost looks like they're rustling livestock. You know, like the guys, the owners are like, hey, what are you guys doing there? Now, as soon as I read that and thought about it, it reminded me as a kid. I mean, we used to have neighbors like that. We banned the boys. We ran around the neighborhood when 8, 10, and 12, 13 years old. Who knows? I, I'm afraid to remember half the stuff we used to do. And more than one neighbor used to say, hey, what are you boys doing there? And it kind of hit me the same way, you know, like, hey, what are you guys doing there? And, it's, and then it seems like it's a 007 thing. It's a password. The Lord, the Lord has need of them. Oh, okay, you're in. That's like the handshake or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of, I, I don't know if you ever saw the logistics going on here in the text, but it's, it, it's, it's really, the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Well, you know, perhaps, perhaps Jesus had made prior arrangements. I mean, he was in that area enough, in Bethany and all that around the Mount of Olives. Or maybe the, the owner simply recognized um, the disciples and, and, and knew it was for Jesus, and well, we're not told. But uh, it's, it, it is an amazing. But what, what's most amazing, looking at your outline at B, is that, that Jesus was asking for anything at all. That's dramatic. We never see that in any of the gospel. I mean, he who left the glory of heaven, think of Philippians 2 and the kenosis, 
I mean, God made uh, God uh, was willing in the person of Christ to give up all the trimmings of royalty, of divinity, to come down way, 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 way down, born in obscurity, no place in the end, and we know the story. Yea, he surrendered it all, the depths of God's love for us. He gave it all up. He never asked for anything. That's amazing. Until this point, I, I need, I have need of this cult. And I say it's amazing that, most amazing, that Jesus is asking for anything at all. He had hardly any, uh, any possessions to call his own. You know, say, well, what kind of assets do you have? You know, you sit down, you do asset planning, and you got to take care of your will and estate and make a list here and... All right, Jesus, what do you got? Well, I've, I've, got, the, I've got this robe. And here's the Lord of glory. Shall we say it? The creator. I got this robe. And there was a movie made of that. Remember that? The robe, yeah. And I got the sandals. Um, he, we, we know that Judas carried the money pouch, but he didn't even have a coin. At one point, they were trying to trick him. Do you pay taxes to Caesar? Well, that would have got the Jewish people upset. They hated being occupied the Roman troops. And he had to ask for a coin. He didn't like, hey, let me show you a coin here. He had to ask for a coin. Who has a denarius? Whose image is on the That wasn't his coin. And then another place, I have it on your outline, another place uh, he said that I, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Uh, does that mean he's homeless? No, he was at home in Nazareth, all those years till he was about 30 and then baptized. He had a home there. Joseph married. Joseph probably died earlier. We never see him anymore in the text. And so was he homeless, living on the lamb, sort of moving around? He didn't have anything. He, didn't, he surrendered it all. Think of the height of what he went and the depths of which he came for you and for me. You might say he gave his life away. You know, that's what he asks us to do. You know, if you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, your life is not your own. Not your own. Your time, your treasury, your abilities. You know, in, in essence, really, that's the way to live. Have you ever noticed when you're selfish, and we are, we are so intensely selfish, self-centered, we cling on, we hold on, we're the... We're the three-year-old boy, the Tonka truck, my truck. You know, and Jesus is just the opposite. He came and he showed us how to live. And he showed us how his disciples live. What? If you, if you hold on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give your life away to him, you'll find it. And there'll be a joy and a satisfaction in your life that you'll never have by holding on. That stuff will be stripped away from you anyway. Every, everything, everything we have, stripped away. Everything that we have will be taken from us or we will be taken from it. We'll be carried out. They came in naked, they carry them out that way. Death is a great equalizer. Wealthy men who uh, lived in wealth at the moment of death are on equal ground with everyone else. No bank accounts, no assets, no anything. Everything we have. Paul put it this way, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. 
I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me, in the life which I know in the life. I live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The only way to live. He was always giving himself away to others. Never getting anything for himself, he gave his life away for us. And that's what he's doing in the life of his followers. You and me, if you know Christ the Lord as your Savior. There is a desire burning within your heart to live for him and to lay it all on the altar and yield everything you have to him. That's the only way to live. It's the Blessed are those who, who give. This week, uh, uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah and Greg were here last week. You knew that. And we had Sarah's uh, birthday party, and, and we acted silly. And, you know, we do all that, and that's so much fun, right, to do that. <clears throat> and Faith and I gave her a card, put a little check in with that card, and do whatever you want to do. with it. And she's trying to tell me over the phone like she's not going to cash it. And I'm like reading the riot act to her. I said, you can't deprive me of giving. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So you have to cash that check, and you better. I'm going to check. <laughs> giving. There's a joy in that. There's a joy. Jesus set the whole example of that. Well, just this once, on your outline number three, as he makes his final preparation to enter Jerusalem, He's orchestrating the events of Palm Sunday. Let me stop there. When you read the events here and you see everything going on, read it with discernment because Jesus is, is in the thick of all of it. He's not the victim. Where is this going to end up? Oh, my. Oh, no. You see the Lord of glory walking into the program and plan of God, and it's all orchestrated by God. Even the events of this last week leading up to his very crucifixion and resurrection on the cross. And now Jesus makes clear that he has need, the Creator God has need of the colts, uh, of the donkey's offspring, the colt. Now see, remember that the colt was rightfully his anyway, simply by virtue of the fact that he made it. I remind you, he's the Creator. Colossians 1, John 1, Hebrews 1 tells us that all things were made by him, and nothing that is was what it is came into being apart from him. He's the creator. Keep your finger in Luke. Just look at the Colossians 1.16. Can you find that? You ought to have this circled and, and well-known uh, in your heart and life. For it really exalts uh, Jesus. For uh, Colossians 1.16, For by him all things were created. I mean, there's no wiggle room there. No exception, no footnote. No, you see what I mean? All things were created. In the heavens, so he's going to start pointing out. In the heavens, on earth, okay. Visible, invisible. Talking about uh, the atomic structure and subatomic structure of the molecules. and Whether thrones and dominions or rulers or authority. All things. He says it again for, for us in slow class. Okay, Lord, I think I got it. All things were created through him and for him. That's everything. So, when you go to Genesis 1, and God said of the Trinity, now you know whose voice it was. And God said, let there be light. And it's the voice of Jesus that created. So, by creation, right, everything is his. By creation, that cult 
already belongs to him by creation, everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Psalm 24, 1. Everything in it, all people in it, everything belongs to him. He is the creator God. We love that Psalm 50, verse 10, when we have a need, don't we? Psalm 50, verse 10, and we remind ourselves, and the cattle on a thousand hills are his, right? Like he's counting cattle, right? It's, it's a beautiful imagery. It means everything is his. It's all his. Your life is his, not even your own. And that colt over there, the Lord has need of him. It was his anyway. It's all his. From beginning to end, he's, he's creator God. So when, he brought, so when they brought the colt to Jesus, they were simply bringing a creature that was made by Jesus and for Jesus. His donkey was to be used for his glory, and the men gave it. You don't see any struggle. No, you can't have it. Not today. Manana, right? <laughs> you bet their life. <laughs> Take it, Lord. It's yours. As we should respond the same way. And, they, and the men gave. Well, we should have the same ad, attitude toward everything in life that we like to call our own. Everything. Our own money, our own time, or all our possessions. You know, we too should always ask. And I say I don't always do this, but I want to do this. I want to do this increasingly. Does the Lord have need of this? Why has he given it to me? Why has he entrusted these talents, the treasury, the time, does the Lord have need of this? Does he need it more for the kingdom than I do for my own well-being? In a verse like this, when rightfully thought and applied, helps my stewardship. As I think about the things that God sends my way for a time. They're not mine. They're not mine to keep. They're mine to use for his glory. For one day soon, it'll be all over. It'll be all over. It's all for him. All for him. The Lord has need. Everything is him. Well, the principle applies to everything in my life and yours. The, the day the king had a need, so he claimed his property, the coal. There's a second observation, and quickly we'll move through the latter two here. The king displayed his humility. He rides on a donkey. The reason Jesus needed the coal was to display his humility. His humility in fulfillment of the ancient prophecy found in Zechariah 9.9. The promised king would ride humbly on a colt. Zechariah 9.9. I love to think about uh, uh, the Lord's, uh, from what we can tell in the gospel, as he searches through the scriptures, he's the author of them, right? The word of God teaches us of the living word. The spirit of God so controlled the process so that it was wholly writ without error in the original. And knowing these prophecies, these predictions of the Messiah, the Lord's mind is rummaging through the Scriptures and thinking of the, some final ones that still need to be satisfied that pointed to Him. Like, for example, on the, on the cross, remember He said, and, and I thirst? Well, that came right from the Psalms where He talks about that. And, and uh, there are some of these he had no control, and they parted his garments. Remember, they're casting lots while he's on the cross. Well, that's simply prediction. And one of his friends would betray him. That was, he had no control on, over that. But uh, this one he did. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, when that Messiah, that king, the king of kings comes, he will come 
uh, riding on the colt of a donkey, humble, and riding in. And, and uh, the Jews knew this prophecy. They knew that it was a sign pointer, like a neon light flashing off and on. This is the king. This is the king. And so he had need of that, the creator God. And so he displays his humility in riding on the lowly donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. Well, it symbolized, certainly, in making this public statement, and that's really what it was, that his kingship would be different from the worldly kings and their pomp and circumstance in utter corruption. I mean, have you ever read even about Nero, who would reign in here a few years? What a perverted, wicked man he was. Perverted. Emperor. Jesus' kingship would be wholly otherwise. Humble. Righteous. Peaceful. Uh, blessed symbolized in coming in, uh, riding on this donkey. Well, he was presenting himself as king in prediction of the Old Testament. Now his royalty was in full view, so different from the rest of his public ministry. And the people immediately recognized his, this royal symbol, and they began to shout, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed! Blessed! From Psalm 118, 118, verse 26 and 7. This great messianic psalm that, that predicted a thousand years ahead of time of what this coming greater David would be like, this greater king. Blessed be the name of the Lord that his miracles had indicated. Well, what they didn't know was what kind of king Jesus had come to be. He was humble, he was gentle, he was peaceful. And those of us who receive him have king as King of kings and Lord of lords have those same qualities being developed in our life through new birth. Well, he displays his humility riding on a donkey. wasn't Air Force One. The other night, Faith and I were driving around, and we kept seeing this enormous aircraft landing and taking off at uh, Harrisburg International Airport. And, uh, and it was hovering low. I don't know if you saw that. That's a pilot. But... Um, I thought, like, and, it, and then uh, we saw it, like, take off again. I mean, it, I know it has a long runway, and I go, like, I wonder if that's Air Force One or Air Force Two, and they're practicing um, uh, with the president's plane or the vice president's plane. Boy, it's a beauty. Because, you know, when they t you take off in a plane, it, it takes off, and it goes way up fast, right? This one up, he's kind of flying about 1,000 feet over Middletown. And then he touched down, and there it goes up again. And uh, Jesus is far greater than the president. Have you noticed that? And he didn't come in on Air Force One in the Jerusalem. At clear the field. Here it comes. <laughs> you know, no, quite the opposite, right? The president, all his entourage, and all the planes and support that are taken. I remember Greg telling the story when, uh, as part of the... Our, Greg, uh, my son-in-law, is part of the, the uh, Secret Service Medical Corps when he's down at Hopkins, uh, would travel with former President Clinton and then President George Bush, and they would go to uh, Africa, and I can't remember the other places, but I can't believe the odd, this is former president, but they still had Secret Service coverage. 
the planes and the equipment and the advanced teams and everything else. Uh, Greg said, you just can't, it's like an army. I often think of that when our president goes and his wife or his wife and the girls go to Spain or somewhere else. You know, it must look like some country's entire Air Force uh, landing and equipping and cars and all the rest. Have you noticed riding in on a colt of a donkey is quite a bit different in approaching the real King of Kings and Lord of Lords? It's amazing, really, the display of humility. It's glorious, really. That humility that ought to be in us as well. You know, we've been teaching that on the power of the gospel, haven't we? We who are like Jesus, we are being made, we ought to consider others better than ourselves. We ought to consider the needs of other people. And not just this guy. And we do that way too much, don't we? We're so messed up and goofed up and, and God is saving a mess here and making us into trophies of grace. Humble. Others-minded. Dying to self. Like our Lord. And the third and final observation, not only... Not only do we see the king claiming his property and displaying his humility, but receive, we receive a glimpse of the glory due him uh, as the disciples and the people honored him in verses 35 to 40. The disciples were the first to give him glory as they put their cloaks on the coat and lifted Jesus up and set him on the animal. Look at, uh, look at verse 35. And they brought it to Jesus, that's the colt, and they threw their cloaks, that's their outer coat, on the colt. You see, you can't have a king riding bareback. That's the thought. A king needs a royal saddle. But there wasn't a saddle to be found. So you use what you have. That's why they're putting their cloaks on the colt. And then don't miss, they set Jesus on it. That's a very intimate and a tender thing going on there. They, he allowed them to actually pick him up and set him on the colt that is now covered with the cloaks. Uh, it, it is a tender thing, and they are honoring him. And they begin to throw some cloaks down in front of the animal. They are honoring him, the Lord Jesus, as king of kings. It, it would be like, and maybe some of you played on a a team, maybe it was a championship team. I've uh, all the sports. I've only ever had a couple of championship teams, and uh, one was our football team. Uh, in the in my early teen years, we won the state championship and beyond. And when we finally won, they called it the Milk Bowl. Played at the University of Buffalo football stadium. Uh, when it was all over and the snow, I remember snow coming out. It always snows in Buffalo that time of year. We went over and we picked up our coach. And we ran around with him and act goofy. You know, sometimes they throw the Gatorade on. But, you know, you pick up your coach in, in a victorious triumph. That's the imagery here. Uh, the, the, the tender, intimate, the honoring, and the dignity of uh, uh, the disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ as they set him uh, on this colt. And the text says, the colt had never been written before. It was unbroken. It was untamed. And now here's another uh, intimation of the Lord of creation uh, controlling uh, even that which was 
not uh, tamed yet, and yet we don't see the colt bucking and going to throw him off. He's not used to someone riding on his back. He's the Lord of creation. Jesus is set upon the animal. It's the first acknowledgement of his kingship. Soon others follow their example. Have you noticed that? The others in the crowd, the thousands that were around moving into the city with, with Passover and all the excitement with Lazarus rising from the dead, they throw their cloaks down and, and, the, and the other gospel accounts tell us and also palm branches. This was a way of saying that Jesus was too worthy to ride on an ordinary road. He deserved a royal carpet. It was the red carpet treatment. You know, sometimes you'll see that in Hollywood. They'll, they'll have the Oscars or something, and, they, and everyone's always here, oh, what kind of dress is she wearing, and who's escorting? And it's a, from the limo that, you know, is a block long, then they have the red carpet. Why, these are, the, these are certain folks that you can't let their feet touch the ground. You've got to have the royal carpet. You know, there are some countries around the world and faraway places and villages and all that when the day is going to come when the king is going to visit. And uh, they clean up the town, they fix it up, and they, and they, uh, they actually make a main boulevard coming in because that's where the king is going to come in. I was over in New Jersey some time ago, and some of you might know of the, uh, the King's Highway there. And I was listening to the story. There was a day in which uh, the British, back in the colonial days, Actually, somebody visited, and uh, they built that highway going, I think it was right to the Delaware River towards Philadelphia, where, where the royalty would actually ride on. You wouldn't want them to come in on any common, ordinary road. And think of that day with real horsepower-driven things and everything else on the road with that. This was a beautiful road for a, a, an, an earthly sovereign. And, uh, and so the idea is, is, is the, the Lord of glory, this glorious King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, is too great to have him touch, uh, the, the, the cold touch an ordinary road. He deserved a royal carpet treatment. They began, they honored him, the, that is the disciples, and then soon others followed. You know, it's always that way, you think about it. When those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, we worship Him and we honor Him in our life. We do it collectively. We do it here when we assemble. We do it in our life as we go our way and go about. People figure us out after a while, and they know there's something different. That, and there's a love and an honor and a joy. It's infectious. It causes other people. Maybe there's some, some uh, Christians in the crowd that are weaker and maybe not where they ought to be. And it draws them to doing what's right and honoring and worshiping the Lord. And it may cause others to want to come to know Christ. There is a saltiness of Christian. I mean, just think of living hopelessly in this world with no hope beyond the grave, no hope or rhyme or reason for anything. The dust of death is everywhere, and you and I have the hope of the gospel and the reality of that. It's beautiful, really. And when you and I are right in our own place, Lord, tune my heart daily to sing your praise. Every night it seems to go out of tune. Have you noticed that? You get in the morning, like, it's like a guitar, like, whoa, what happened during the night? You know, like, Lord, soften my heart again. You know, like, and when you and I do that, it's infectious. When they did it and they honored the Lord, all of a sudden it started spreading through the crowd as uh, Jesus is going to receive the acclaim that is due to do him. Well, number one, the Pharisees refused to join in the celebration. I mean, they're the ultimate gospel party poopers, aren't they? They really are. 
Every time it's like this, they're like, no, I don't think so. I mean, they're not the kind of people you invite to a, you know, a Super Bowl party or something. They're like, ah, I'm for tennis. I'm not for bad. You know, I don't know. They like, like that. But they, and they're like, uh, Lord, uh, you, you ought to curb down this excitement. That's what they're saying. Well, they say, turn down the volume. They knew this was messianic. They knew it pointed to the promised coming king. They knew that the people were ascribing that to Jesus. They say, curb it, turn it down, turn the volume down. Hey, listen, God loves it loud. Well, you know, when Ed leaves us and singing, you ought to be belting it out. I wish I could belt. If I belt it out, the sermons would be about 10 minutes long because I out of my voice. <laughs> You go like, oh, that's not a bad idea. We ought to try that sometime, maybe. Well, we ought to. God loves it loud. Volume, sing out. Praise to God. Lord, tune my heart. You know, let, let's worship God. These are such beautiful songs today. And turn it down, they're saying. God says, no, don't do that. Well, Jesus' response, um, you know, is uh, quite, quite instructive there. He says, I tell you, verse 40, if, they, if these were silent, these throngs of people, the very stones would cry out. What does he mean by that? He means Jesus is telling, listen, the king will have his worship. And he says that he deserved the worship of all creation. All creation, even these inanimate objects, these stones would scream out glory to God. I only wonder, you know, will you, will I give King Jesus the honor that he royally deserves? A day like no other day. This day called Palm Sunday, we see the king claiming his property, displaying his humility, and receiving a glimpse of the glory that is due him. Let's uh, close with some lessons for life. Number one, number one, you're invited today. I invite you today. You know the gospel door is open? It's open. It's not like a restaurant that's too full or something that's, no, 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 go away, turn away. Someday it'll be shut. It's open. Today, you're invited to receive Jesus as your Savior. Have you done that? What a great week to do it. What a great day to do it. I plead with you. He's the great king. He entered Jerusalem that day to move to the cross where he laid down his life as the sin offering for you and for me. He took your penalty. He paid the price you couldn't pay. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God it's a gift, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You simply outstretched empty, and Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and as my God. Thank you for dying in my place. I deserve hell. I deserve the lake of fire. Thank you for saving me. You died that I might live. Number two, if you know him as your king, live for him every day. Live for him. You're not king. You're not king. I'm not king. We're not even king of our own domain. Do as he did. Give your life away. Give it away. Give it to him. It's the only way to live. Use what you have for him. Use it. Give it away. I remember when this really hit me when I was a senior in high school. I was heading a far different direction. And God turned the screws of my heart brought me to repentance of my gross sin and saved me. I mean, I was saved early, but cleansed me and, and uh, has carried me. 
Now, I was so tender in those years in college. Every time an invitation was given, you know, for missions or this or that, Lord, I'll do that. I'll do that. Whatever you want. I'll, Lord. <laughs> well, it's true for his believers. It's true for you. Give your life to him. Say, Lord, for me to live is Christ. Use me. Use me in my life. I'm not much. I'm yours. Will you do that? Number three, marvel at God's timing. It's perfect in its details. His timing is perfect in your life as well. It is. God didn't say, well, I didn't know they were going to be alive now. I sort of had them back pre-revolutionary days. Like, how did they slip through? You know, it's like sometimes we slip through the crowd. God's timing is perfect. That we should live in America and be blessed as we are by world and history standards. That we should hear the gospel and that it should draw us and save us. I'm telling you, God's timing is perfect. And one day he's coming for us. And one day it'll be over. I find great security in that, his timing. Come and find rest in this truth in your life and mine. Number four. Take extra time this week. Will you do this and read the Passion Week in the Gospel? Uh, read and meditate on the Scriptures that tell the Lord's activity during the Holy Week. Spend additional time in prayer as you worship Him. I suggest uh, you could read all four of the Gospels contained this week. Uh, by percentage, uh, Mark's Gospel has the longest portion of his Gospel dealing with this very last week. About one-third of his Gospel deals with these last seven days. And so you might want to take around uh, uh, Mark 13 and, and read that to the end. And, uh, and work, work, if you want to go to John and work your way through the upper room and, and to the crucifixion, and, and make it a special blessed time along with reading Isaiah 53. What a blessed thing. Well, a day like no others. Most days are just pressed between the pages of our mind, right? Uh, I don't remember it, you know, like... We think like we'll always remember it, but most of the time we don't, right? And if that Michigan ad is right, 25,000 days, I'd like to give a quiz and see how many you remember in particular. Not too many. Let's see. I think I graduated from high school. Yeah, I remember that day. I remember, yeah, I remember that. You know, <laughs> in the life of the Lord Jesus, this was a day of all days. You see, God would not allow him, and don't miss this, and we'll close. He's going to be treated in the most horrible way here in just a matter of days. And God would not allow his son, he sets all the boundaries and all of that, he would not allow that to take place, that great tragedy, that horrific act, when men finally get their hands on God and they kill him on the cross. God the Father would not allow that without first, if only for a moment, to allow Jesus to get the glory that was really due him. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Praise God. Father, thank you so much for the Word of God and the power of it. It's transforming in our lives. And we thank you for our Savior as we think of this Holy Week. And may it be a particularly wonderful week for us, a spiritual renewal in our life as we get on our knees and pray and read the Word and Ask that you make us a blessing as we survey our lives. We say, does, what does the Lord have need of in my life? Use us, Lord. We love you for Christ our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.